It was a wonderful Veterans Day at colleges around the country. Students gathered around the Veterans Day tree singing old Veterans Day carols like, I hope I don't get killed defending the rights of people who don't even appreciate those rights. Fa-la-la-la-la. College students were taught special Veterans Day lessons. For instance, some young people were startled to learn there were other ways to be a hero than screaming at someone on Twitter. Although some of those other ways sounded kind of dangerous, so maybe it's best to keep your heroism confined to social media for now. After all, what's the point of getting wounded over things like the First Amendment when free speech just lets you say upsetting stuff? And why on earth would you risk getting killed over freedom of religion when God is so mean to gay people? And of course, getting shot over the right to bear arms is crazy since once guns are banned, no one will have to get shot at all. College students were also surprised to learn about such Veterans Day subjects as World War II, where race-obsessed anti-Jewish, big government supporters who called themselves national socialists somehow turned out to be the bad guys. How weird is that? Today, anyone who isn't a race-obsessed, anti-Jewish, big government national socialist is worse than Hitler. But then World War II was in the old days when Hitler wasn't Donald Trump, but instead was Hitler. And you couldn't even call him Hitler on TV because he'd kill you because he was Hitler instead of Donald Trump, which is just plain confusing. Although sometimes it's true soldiers do bad things like shooting austere religious scholars, mostly college students enjoyed Veterans Day because they got a holiday from gender studies class and can stay at their dorm rooms watching porn instead and wishing they could ask someone on a date without getting expelled. And isn't that the American life our veterans fought so hard to preserve? Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. So before we talk about stupid stuff like Democrats... Let's have part two of our four-part series on leftist ideas that don't make any sense and so reduce you to believing in stupid stuff like Democrats. Today, let's look at left-wing ideas about race. My own ideas about race are very simple, but they have the advantage of being coherent. I believe man was made in the image of God and that hating a man for the way he is made is a sin against God. And if you sin against God, you go to hell. So don't do that. Now, some people ask me things they say like, What about the fact that European culture produced all this great stuff and African culture didn't produce great stuff except in the movie Black Panther? Or what about the fact that Asians are smarter than everyone and make those great egg rolls? Or what about some genetic thing you read about online and now think you understand? And my answer is, life is complicated, but if you treat all races equally and take each person as he comes, it will all work out because man is made in the image of God. But of course, I'm just a barefoot teller of tales, and I'm not a clever left-wing college race theorist. Leftist race theorists believe that white people are bad because they don't treat people equally, which is a moral concept invented by white people who are bad. They believe that white people are bad because they don't want to let brown people into the country, and once there are more brown people in the country than white people, the brown people will be able to destroy the country made by the evil white people who let them in because they believed all people were created equal. Leftist race theorists believe that racism is bad and therefore they hate whites because whites are racist. Leftists are not racist for hating whites because of theories about power invented by Michel Foucault, a sadomasochist who stuck a safety pin through his nipple for kicks. So you want to make sure to get all your good theories from him. Now, 
Leftist race theory like this does have the benefit of being hilarious, but it's also kind of stupid, because once you declare that any race is in any way morally superior or inferior to any other, there is nothing to stop that race from declaring itself morally superior to whatever race your ass happens to be. So now you have leftists who say browns are better than whites, and you have alt-rightists who say whites are better than browns, and their logic is exactly the same and justifies the other's point of view. Thus, they are all alike and that they're all incredibly ugly-minded and unpleasant and also are all going to hell because man was made in the image of God. Leftists have now thought themselves into a state of perpetual racism, making it impossible to distinguish between the logic of a Ku Klux Klan pamphlet and the logic of the op-ed page of the New York, the New York Times. This happened because leftists are essentially materialist and do not believe that man is made in the image of God because they do not believe in God. And if man is not made in the image of God, there is absolutely no reason to love him or accord him rights or treat him equally and fairly. There is no reason, zero, none. Without that simple premise, the Imago Dei, you will inevitably get lost in hatred and ultimately find yourself in hell or on a liberal college campus. But I repeat myself. I'm going to talk a little bit more about making sense. But first, I will tell you what makes sense. When you go to bed, it is having bowl and branch sheets. Now, for some of you who sleep on these sheets, you can't really appreciate them. You just think, geez, these are really comfortable. And then you're asleep and you don't know they're there. But for people like me who are awake all night, I sit there all night long thinking, wow, nice sheets, because they're not only incredibly comfortable, they also just look great. And what makes them unique is that each sheet is crafted from 100% organic cotton, which means bowl and branch sheets not only feel incredible, but like I said, they look amazing. And since bowl and branch sells exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail market. So it's half the price, but it's twice the quality. You will love these sheets. Try them for 30 nights and see for yourself. If you're not impressed, return them for a full refund refund. Go to bowl. A refund is better than a refund. Trust me. Go to bowlandbranch.com today and you'll get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use the promo code Claven. That's 50 bucks off off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com. Spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code Claven. Bowlandbranch.com. Promo code Claven. Hey, <laughs> I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask the question. (laughs) I'm going to talk later on about No Safe Spaces, the movie I went to. And at the end, they thanked all the people who made the thing possible. So help me. So help me. It thanked Andrew Clavin, K-L-A-V-E-N. There are no E's. I guess they just weren't listening to the show. Mailbag tomorrow. Go to uh, dailywire.com and subscribe. you got to be a subscriber. You get so much stuff with subscription. You get the new app we have. You can talk to us on the Ask Me Anything uh, sessions that we have. You get Another Kingdom uh, a couple days early, which is nice. It staves off the Clavenless weekend for a day. Uh, <laughs> and you get- I don't know what we're yelling about! <laughs> And you get to do that. You get to scream like that because you're in the mailbag. And once you're in the mailbag, you can ask me about anything you want. You can ask me about religion. You can ask me about your personal problems. You can ask me about politics. And for a lousy 10 bucks, all my answers are nonetheless 100% correct, guaranteed, and will change your life. For the better, you got to find out. Uh, That's what makes it so, so interesting. You know, I'm talking about making sense this week, and making sense is a big, big deal. I mean, it really uh, is important, and we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk enough about the fact that life makes sense. 
thing. You know, I like to tell the story uh, when I was working more in Hollywood. I would go in and pit, you go in and pitch stories. And when you pitch stories, you're usually talking to a story uh, editor or maybe a studio executive. And then there's usually an assistant. And the assistant's entire life depends on the boss liking his or her suggestions. So if you shoot down uh, the assistant's suggestions, they get unhappy. They start to ha- argue with you and they start to think, oh, who's this lousy writer uh, telling me what to think and making me look bad in front of my boss? Well, I'm in a, in a room, as they say. This is called being in a room. That's what they call it. And I'm pitching a story about time travel. And, you know, it's about going back and forth in time, whatever. I can't even remember what the story is. And the assistant says, well, you know, the thing about a time travel story is it really has to make sense. And I said, you know, it can't make sense because you can't travel in time and only reality makes sense. That's what makes it reality. Well, of course, that didn't go over very well with the assistant, but it's true. Life makes sense. And when life doesn't make sense, you have to find out why. You have to get new information, right? That's, that's how science works. This is how we decide uh, you know, when when something is, doesn't make sense, we think, well, what is it we're not seeing? How does this work? And that's how our information expands. And you also have to know about the past in order to know what thing what things make sense, right? That's how in a trial, in a jury, you say, well, the guy said this at this point, but he said this here, and that doesn't make sense. And you you want his testimony to make sense, or you know he's lying. This is the thing. Life makes sense, and therefore, your morality has to make sense. Your ideas have to make sense. They have to stick with the facts. This is why the facts matter so much. This is why when AOC says, I don't need to know the facts, I just need to know morality, that that's ridiculous, Okay. But the thing is, in order to make sense, you also have to know the past. You have to know the kinds of things that happen and the kinds of things that don't happen. A lot of what we know and a lot of our wisdom comes from induction, not deduction. It comes from gathering information and seeing things again and again. And one of the things that is happening, especially in this presidency, in the Donald Trump presidency, is the press reports on things and then it's wrong and Donald Trump is right and then it just vanishes. The subject vanishes. Remember when Donald Trump said... You know, Obama bugged my phones. Obama bugged phones at Trump Tower. And the press was like, oh, this is uh, what the, this is a completely unfounded fact check. A thousand Pinocchios. And then it turned out, yeah, no, he basically bugged phones that Trump was talking on. Trump was right. Subject vanishes, right? Russian collusion, four years, two years and a half years. You know, people just, oh, he colluded with the Russian. He's a spy. John Brennan sitting there going, I think he was a Russian asset. Uh, and I know because I am a Russian asset. So he was a Russian asset. Untrue, gone. Bang. It's just gone. It just disappears. And we move on to the next thing. Think about uh, just a few weeks ago when Trump withdrew our troops from Syria, right? Remember, the Kurds were going to be massacred. And the Turks were going to, you know, wipe out everybody. And it was all going to be a terrible, terrible mess. And Russia was going to take over the world. And Trump said at the time, let's just play a clip of how they covered this. Uh, I can't remember. I think this is CNN. This is their coverage of, of Syria. All this unfolding, of course, as chaos and uncertainty grows in Syria. Turkish troops are building up along the border ahead of a possible attack on Kurdish troops after President Trump pulled U.S. troops from that area. Ian Panel is there in Turkey, has the latest for us. Good morning, Ian. Yeah, good morning, Robin. That's right. America's Kurdish allies are now bracing for an imminent attack by Turkey, which is, of course, also a key American ally. This is now region on the brink of war. And this comes after President Trump's shock decision to pull American troops out of the border area and therefore opening it up to attack. So it was all going to be war. It was all going to be the Kurds, our, our lovely allies, the Kurds, were going to be killed. And Trump came out and said, you know, listen, the Kurds were doing 
were acting on their own behalf. And that was good for us. Our interests melded, but we're not there to protect the Kurds. I don't want to go to war with Turkey. And if Turkey misbehaves. Remember, he sent that famous don't be a tough guy letter to Erdogan. He said, you know, don't be a tough guy. Don't go in and kill anybody. He said, if Turkey misbehaves, I'm going to use economic sanctions to bring them back. Turkey did misbehave. They went in, they committed human rights abuses. They did kill some Kurds when they shouldn't have. Uh, Trump sent the Mikes, Pompeo and Pence to Turkey to talk to him. They stopped. He used the economic wrench against them. He, he said, I'm going to really uh, destroy your economy if you don't do what I tell you to do. They pulled back. Everybody got what they wanted. I'm, look, it's not a perfect world. It is not a perfect world over, in the, over there in the Middle East. It's not a fun place. Things are going to go wrong. They're going to continue to go wrong. But Trump got his, his troops out of a place where he thought that they were in harm's way and could start could force us to attack our allies, Turkey. And remember, we had Mike Duran on from the Hoover Institute who explained the fact that Turkey is an ally. It doesn't matter whether the guy is a bad guy or not. We don't have any good guys in the Middle East. They are our ally and everything has to be based on fighting Iran. It's the Iranians who are really trying to destroy us and Israel. And that's why we have to always have our mind on Iran. It turned out Trump did the right thing. He may have done it in a way that he shouldn't have done it. He may have done it too bluntly. He may have done it too quickly. He may have done it without consulting. But it, it turned out pretty well. The story vanishes, right? The only thing that's going to happen now is they're going to say, oh, well, we did find some human rights abuses when we went in. We know that's true. I mean, it is the Middle East. It's still the Middle East. But even Lindsey Graham ended up happy and it just goes away. All of this is gone from history so that you never can tell. You never can tell. You, can, you can't accrue wisdom. You can't start to say, well, wait a minute, you know, this Trump, he does act on his gut a lot. He does talk, you know, he's very, uh, he bloviates. He he's got a big mouth and all this stuff. But, you know, a lot of the stuff he's doing is working out. The only way you can keep track of that is with the economy because the economy is steady state. But ISIS, gone. No, you know, their caliphate, gone. And that just, just disappears. It just vanishes. It's only when things go wrong they go back. Let me just play what is essentially a trivial uh, story, but it just shows you so much about the way Trump is covered. Remember, Trump went to work to the World Series and he got booed. It was the fifth game, I think. And that, that was in Washington, D.C. And here was the way they covered it. Meanwhile, overnight, President Trump attended game five of the World Series right here in Washington, and he didn't get the warmest welcome. Take a look. Mixed reaction there. You can hear some in the crowd booing him and even chants of lock him up. The White House declined to comment overnight. Now to the World Series where President Trump watched last night's game from a luxury suite at Nationals Park in Washington, where he received what you would call less than a warm welcome from many people in the crowd. So this went on forever. The late night comics all made jokes about it. Every single one of them covered it. Every it was a big, big deal. It's Washington, D.C., right? Washington, D.C. represents Washington, D.C. It is a very, very left wing community because all their jobs depend on the uh, on the government. Right. So and they're all in the deep state. So they hate Trump. So Trump then goes to the uh, LSU Bama Tide game. And this is the reaction in Alabama. This I love this guy right here. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. 
They loved them. The students were giving interviews saying the impeachment thing was a sham and all this stuff. So Newsweek sports writer Scott McDonald said Trump's attendance at the game in Tuscaloosa draws comparisons to Richard Nixon, who in 1969 attended the game between the top two teams in the nation, Texas and Arkansas. McDonald predicts impeachment inquiries against Trump by the U.S. House of Representatives may go farther in this process than they did with Nixon uh, because Nixon resigned the presidency. David Jackson of USA Today wrote about how presidents like Trump and Nixon, among others, use sports for political gains. So in other words, this was all about Donald Trump manipulating the audience. The way they cover the press, the way the press covers Trump is, is so insanely unfair that it essentially cancels out everything that Trump actually does. Trump keeps failing in the news, but he keeps succeeding in real life. The things he does work out over and over again. We'll talk about it in a second, but first let us talk about ExpressVPN because you want to protect the information on your computer. I love this thing. This is one of the only nice things Knowles ever did for me. He recommended ExpressVPN. It takes about 10 seconds, 90 seconds to put on your computer, and then it works in the background. You do not even know it's there. Your social security numbers are safe, your contact details, your credit scores, all those things can be taken from you online. You know this. This thing anonymizes what you're doing. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows your information. You can control how big corporations mishandle your data, but you, can, you can't control how they mishandle your data once they get it, but you can protect them, protect yourself from giving them that data. ExpressVPN works in the background. Like I said, it connects with just one, one click. It's lightning fast and costs less than seven bucks a month. If you use my special link, expressvpn.com slash Clavin right now. <laughs> Let me at least ask the question for guys. Uh, <laughs> right now, you can arm yourself with an ex- extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. You can support this show by letting them know that you got you heard about them here and protect yourself at the same time. That's expressvpn.com slash Clavin for an extra three months free. Hey, by the way, how do you spell Clavin? there are no So... MRC, right, the Media Research Council, they, they do, do that wonderful newsbuster site that I like so much. They write this, with virtually no chance Senate Republicans will vote to remove President Trump from office, House Democrats' drive for impeachment is more likely aimed at creating a deluge of negative daily he- headlines hoping to cripple Trump going into next year's election. If that is indeed Democrats' goal, then the three broadcast networks are doing everything they can to help achieve this partisan objective. Overwhelmingly negative, MRC analysts have reviewed all coverage of President Trump and his and his administration on the ABC, CBS, and NBC even, evening newscast since 2017. Following the beginning of the impeachment inquiry on September 24th, this coverage has been even more hostile than normal. Out of 684 evaluative comments included in these broadcasts, a whopping 96%, 96%, have been negative versus a meager 4% that have been uh, positive. TV's fascination with Democrats' impeachment push has crowded out nearly all other news about the administration. During the six weeks since Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announced the start of the inquiry, the three networks' uh, evening broadcast churned out 398 minutes of coverage to the Ukraine scandal or more than three-fifths of all administration news. And here's the thing. Right. So now we know everything is negative and Trump's successes vanish. This is the important thing. The the past, if Trump is a success, which he so often is, or if the Democrats turned out to be lying, which they so often are, that just disappears. Remember, 
when uh, Adam Schiff was going to bring the whistleblower in to testify, and then suddenly it turned out that the whistleblower had uh, arranged everything with Schiff before they got started. And Schiff realized, oh, if I bring him in to testify, they can ask questions of him. Story just disappears. There he is. There was the whistleblower. The story just, just dis- disappears. So now impeachment starts tomorrow. The public hearings start tomorrow, right? So I, and, and now that this is what they're talking about. Remember I, ta- I called it impeachment the movie because all they're talking about is how can we convince people? And, this is, and the press is basically piling on. The press is working with Adam Schiff. How can we shoot this movie? How can we shoot this story so... It, it really affects voters, which, by the way, they know now they're starting to realize eh, not going to happen. It's just not going to happen because they haven't got anything. But here, just just to show you, because they do it openly. It's amazing. Here is Brian Stelter with Anna Cabrera on CNN wondering how they can shoot this movie, how they can tell this story. So you give a rat's what Donald Trump did in regards to Ukraine. How important is this week in terms of getting the American people invested and mm. interested early on? Well, this is the first Internet impeachment, right? When you were at the Clinton White House, Joe, the Internet was still mostly a text media. Most people weren't really online yet. There were no smartphones. So this is the first time we're going to have an impeachment process that is clipped and condensed and distorted and remixed in all of these ways shared on social media. The reality is most people will not watch live, although many, many CNN viewers will. Most people will end up watching clips and then hearing about it later in the day as it's being digested, whatever is said at the hearings. I think that's really important. You know, the both Democrats and Republicans are going to be trying to control that messaging war. I also think uh, episode one, so to speak, matters a lot. And, and I hate to say that because we're talking about basic democracy at, at risk here. But from a television perspective, Democrats have to come out strong in that first episode. No, if for the same reason that when we're watching something on Netflix or we're listening to a new podcast, we only choose to keep listening if we're interested in episode one. So I, I think the Democrats know that, but I'll be interested to see what kind of show they put on on Wednesday morning trying to hook people. Even Soledad O'Brien, who used to work at CNN, said that was shameful, that Brian Stelter should be ashamed of himself. But if I may ask you, keep these three things in your head, okay? Three things in your head. Overwhelmingly negative coverage. I mean, so negative, it's absurd. Like 94%, what was it, 96%. Unbelievably negative coverage. The past disappears when it's pro-Trump, which has almost been, which has been pretty consistent. It's been pretty consistently pro-Trump. We're at peace, where the economy is doing well, people have jobs. So things are actually, uh, actually going pretty well. So the past vanishes. That's, that is number two. And number three, it's a show being organized between Adam Schiff and the press. They are putting on a show meant to convince you that this is an important thing. And as I've said again and again, I think Donald Trump is 100% right on this. It's, it's nonsense. It's a, it is a cover-up. It is absolute nonsense. Okay, so now let's talk about Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, right? Because now they have selectively released some transcripts, which is supposed to make this look like an open uh, process when, of course, it hasn't been whatsoever. So remember, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, he was the Ukraine guy from the NSC, from the National Security Council. Uh, He was the guy, the Ukraine expert, and he was the first guy who was on the phone when Donald Trump said the things he did that we have a transcript of, so we know what was on there too. But this is how this is how they promoted it on CBS and NBC. Remember now, this is testimony they haven't heard. They haven't heard it. It's behind closed doors. They're only getting Democrat uh, versions of it. Tonight, bombshell impeachment testimony. A decorated army officer testifies he sounded the alarm about the president's conduct. 
It's the first testimony from a White House official who directly heard that controversial phone call with Ukraine's leader. We're going to begin with that damning impeachment testimony today from a key witness, Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Winman. The National Security Council's top expert on Ukraine is the first official to testify about what he directly heard during the controversial phone call that sparked the impeachment inquiry. Vindman says what he heard concerned him, and he alerted a top White House lawyer. Vindman joins other diplomats and former administration officials in confirming the details of the whistleblower's complaint. He says he's not, though, the mysterious whistleblower. One Democrat is calling today's testimony the nail in the coffin. Nancy Cordes leads off our coverage tonight on Capitol Hill. There was dramatic testimony in the House impeachment investigation by a decorated war hero who works on the National Security Council and was among those who heard that phone call between President Trump and his Ukrainian counterpart. Hallie Jackson now with late details on that. Bombshell testimony tonight for the first time, a firsthand witness to the explosive conversation that ignited the impeachment. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bombshell, all right. It was a bombshell. It was explosive. It was damning. It was the nail in the coffin, only not, right? Because now the, now the transcript comes out. And remember, they will never go back. They will never go back. It just disappears and say, well, wait a minute. There were problems with that. But luckily, Byron York is reporting on it very closely in the Washington Examiner. And he points out, first of all, Remember, that it was a big deal. You just heard it was a big deal that he was the first person who was actually on the on the phone call. Right. But Trump released the transcript of the phone call. So the only way that would matter at all is if the transcript was false. If he got on and said, oh, my God, that transcript was completely false. But in fact, he attested reading off York's reporting. Vindman attested to the overall accuracy of the rough transcript, contrary to some impeachment supporters who have suggested the White House is hiding an exact transcript that would reveal everything Trump said to the Ukrainian president. As one of a half dozen White House note takers listening to the call, Vindman testified that he tried unsuccessful unsuccessfully to make a few edits to the rough transcript as it was being prepared. He wanted the word Burisma, uh, the corrupt Ukrainian energy company, to be used instead of just the words the company. But beyond that, Vindman had no problems with the transcript, and he specifically said he did not believe. So what's what's so what's it? Why is it a big deal that he was on the phone call? We were all on the phone call. We all had the transcript. When Trump supporters stand behind him at his rallies and say, read the transcript, they're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. We saw it. We saw what he said, all the ways he talked and said, if you could possibly do this, it would be great. And the Ukrainian president said he had no idea they were holding up money, the aid, and he didn't feel any pressure whatsoever. Vindman himself, right, in this bombshell, damning, nail-in-the-coffin testimony, right, he, he himself said he had no legal objections to what Trump said. He just didn't think it was good foreign policy. Vindman said several times, again, uh, Byron York and the Washington Examiner said several times that he was not a lawyer and did not know if Trump's words amounted to a crime, but he felt they were wrong. That was when Republican uh, Congressman John Ratcliffe, a former U.S. attorney, tried to get to the root of Vindman's concerns, what was really bothering him. And here's the transcript. Uh, this is Ratcliffe saying, I'm trying to find out if you were reporting it because you thought there was something wrong with respect to policy or there was something wrong with respect to to law. And what I understand you to say is that you weren't certain that there was anything improper with respect to the law, but you had concerns about U.S. policy. Is that a fair characterization? And, and in fact, he says, I would recharacterize it, says Vindman, as I thought it was wrong and I was sharing those views. I was deeply concerned about the implications for bilateral relations, U.S. national security interests in that 
if this was exposed, it would be seen as a partisan play by Ukraine. So he didn't like the president's foreign policy. You know what? Sometimes I don't like the president's foreign policy. You know, it has nothing to do with anything. What we're getting is a picture all around. We're getting a picture of a State Department, an entrenched bureaucracy that doesn't like Mike Pompeo, that doesn't like Donald Trump, that is angry that Trump fired Ukrainian Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. They want revenge. This is like James Comey, right? They get angry when you fire him and they want revenge. That's what we're seeing. And this is now going to come out on in public. And the and the Republicans are saying, well, we want to bring on people to talk about uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, because how can we know whether Trump was doing the right thing and asking for an investigation if we don't know what Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were doing. They're not going to allow that. Adam Schiff's not going to allow that. We'll see whether they allow uh, any other witnesses. We'll see whether they allow uh, questioning that exposes the kind of the fact that a lot of this is just opinion. A lot of it is third and fourth person. And none of it is first person because we all read the transcript. And they're saying Rudy Giuliani was behind the scenes doing all this stuff and he was manipulating this. We know, we know that Trump wanted the Ukrainians to investigate corruption, including the corruption of Joe Biden's son. We know he wanted to do that. What's the problem? What is the problem, especially when you have a guy like Joe Biden, who was part of a an, an administration that seems to have been spying on Donald Trump, except we've forgotten all about that because the past disappears when Trump is right. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come to dailywire.com and subscribe because tomorrow is mailbag day. You want to get your questions in. You can ask me about your personal life. You can ask me about religion. You can ask me about politics, anything you want. All your problems will be solved for a lousy 10 bucks a month. Who else? Can, what other place offers that? All your problems solved for 10 bucks a month. Even I, am, I may write in a question just to have all my problems solved. <laughs> we have a guest coming up. Come on over to dailywire.com. So we're going to talk to Gabriel Wrench today, who's a pal of mine and also the host of the terrific Cross Politics podcast, uh, which mixes faith and culture and politics. I've been on it a couple of times. It is it airs on DirecTV. It streams uh, on the web. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Uh, it is it is a really, really good and fun uh, podcast. Gabe, are you there? Yes, I am. There Andrew, you thank are. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. It's cross, is it cross politics or cross politics? No S. No S. There is no S in cross politic. All right. <laughs> so, how you doing, by the way? You look good. Man, I'm doing great, man. You know, with the uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Berlin Wall, uh, I'm surprised that you haven't moved out of California to Idaho yet. <laughs> <laughs> now that the wall is down, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know. It's, I, I said this yesterday. I said they're celebrating the end of, of, a, of a life that was so miserable, it was almost like living in California. It's just... Uh... <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll point off that. <laughs> <laughs> so we we talked on your show. We talked on cross Paul about uh, God in the culture. And let, let's talk about this because I think, personally, I think a lot of the stuff we're seeing today has to do with materialist philosophy, which ultimately doesn't make mm -hmm. sense and doesn't make sense of the human person. But why do we need God in the culture? I mean, people can be moral without God. They can do the right thing without believing in God. Why do we need God in the culture? Yeah, well, basically there's two worldviews. There's the, the worldview, the Christian worldview that we're created in the image of God where we are heart, soul, and mind. And then there's the evolutionary worldview where we're pixie dust that's morphed over millions and billions of years and that we can all of a sudden think and love and have complex thoughts 
and so forth. Those those worldviews, uh, the evolutionary worldview does not make sense. And if uh, but if we're created in the image of God, all of a sudden there's right and wrong, there's evil and good, and then we can have a better understanding of what's going on in our culture. If you don't, if if we don't believe that we're made in the image of God, and then everything is disordered from there. It's no wonder I can change my body parts to pretend to become a male or a female or whatever I want to be. And then all of a sudden we're, we're fighting over definitions of what impeachment is. If I can change my body parts, how much more can I change definitions of what words mean and so forth? So we're, we're on the wrong starting point. We, uh, as a, as a, you know, America was founded as a Christian nation. If we believe that God created the world, then we're, um, then that, that's our basis for being able to process everything that's going on in the world. And to be able to look, Look out the door through that lens to look through this, you know, look using the sun. Let's, you know, let me use this real quick. You know, the, the sun is the lens at which we see everything. And in the same way, God's word is the lens in which we see everything and analyze everything. And if we don't have the proper sun, the proper lighting, then we're going to be so off in how we look at culture and, and so forth. I mean, it, it certainly is true that without at least some kind of, you know, what C.S. Lewis called the Tao, some kind of spiritual idea mm-hmm. of the human being as a whole thing, as a whole spiritual entity, mm-hmm. we talk nonsense. And you're right. You can cut up your body and change it into something that looks like a woman's body and declare you're a woman, even mm-hmm. though it's just not true. So That's right. There's, there doesn't, I, I don't think we can argue that religion is is falling away, that, that there, people are less religious than they were. Would you agree with that? I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, from a Christian perspective, I think there's definitely a decline in biblical literacy. So I would connect that to religion falling as, as falling away. And if I believe that, I believe the church is the center of culture and it should be leading culture, and it hasn't been. And because it's been following culture, I, I look at that as like the church is in decline from that standpoint. So are Christians doing something wrong or is Christianity just by nature a minority viewpoint? Well, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the Christian faith has had so much impact, not just on America, but on the world. If you look at, if you roll out a map of Western civilization and everywhere the gospel has had a significant impact on that culture, there's actually a strong economy and a strong cultural impact uh, from that nation. And, and so I think uh, at, at one point or time where the Gospels had a, a significant impact on that nation, there's been a, a, an outgrowth of a strong economy and a vibrant community and a vibrant culture and, and, and even a vibrant political impact and so forth. So I, I, I think largely Christians, um, that, well, I want to pin the, the problem of, of the decline of the church and our culture on the shoulders of pastors. The reason mm. why cross politic or, you know, Andrew Clavin or Rush Limbaugh have a market share in, in, in politics is because pastors aren't preaching the whole counsel of God from the pulpit there. So you'll go to church on Sunday and get a good gospel message. And then you go to Andrew Clavin or Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck on, on Monday through Friday to, you know, Hey, how should I be thinking about politics? Mm-hmm. But what happens there is we disconnect our faith from politics. We disconnect the foundation of what we believe is true from how we should be thinking about politics. And so, Andrew, you become kind of the 
the political pastor Monday through Friday. <laughs> oh, our country is doomed, I guess. <laughs> and so I want to, I want to, I want to peg the, show, the the problems of our country solely on the spiritual leadership in our country. Do you think when when I I, I sometimes complain about Christian movies and the kind of you know and, and I don't mind Christian movies as as something that Christians like to go see, but they have no outreach value. I mean, no one is going to go see God is not dead and change his mind because no one's going to go see it who doesn't believe to begin with because it, it is a Christian film. Do you, do you think I'm wrong about that? Is there something more that Christians could be doing to affect the culture through the arts and through the general uh, popular entertainment? Oh, abso- absolutely. I think uh, the, the problem with Christian and, and art and Christians, uh, the, you know, artistic, artistic expression in Christian art, it, 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 we, are, we model what we do. We model our art 10 years after what the world already produces. So we're, we're, the world produces okay art, and then the Christians 10 years later kind of produce some of the same art, but it's, it's, it's worse. Nah. Uh, whether, whether it's movies, whether it's music, I mean, you, you know, watch the Christian music industry, just follow the, the modern pop music industry. It's always five years behind and, five and, and worse. And so I think um, when you see a vibrant Christian culture that's, that's seeking God and wanting to impact culture for Christ, you actually see rich, a, a rich outgrowth of art that has a huge impact on culture. I forget, there was this artist back in the 1500s during the Reformation time, and he, uh, the mass production of art was really difficult. And what this artist figured out how to do was, he, he figured, well, he didn't figure out how to do it. He figured, if I can find a way to mass produce uh, Christian art, I can, and so what he did, carved out the, the scene where Jesus and the apostles were in the upper room before he uh, was betrayed. And so he just carved it out. The Bible was just being translated and being sent out, and, and the scriptures was actually starting to go places. Well, his his art would reach some places where the Bible hadn't been able to reach yet, and ended up people would see this art and, and recognize the gospel in this art. And so I think there's a number of examples where good, solid Christian art, movies, poetry, you can look in the rich rich history, rich tradition of Christian art, but we're we're in a we're in a I mean, we're in a black hole of, of <laughs> Christian art right now, it, being able to impact our culture. It's, it's true. It's, I mean, when you look back bad. at the great with great works by Bach, Michelangelo, Dante, yeah. I mean, all, all the great mm-hmm. uh, stuff that came out of uh, Christian culture, that that stuff right now uh, is pretty much gone. Let me let me yeah. ask you. I'm, I'm running out of time, but I want to ask you. When you started out, you were talking about evolution. Is science a problem for Christianity? I mean, I, you know, I love science. I love, I, I'm more likely to listen to a, sci- a scientist tell me about science than I am to search for science in the Bible. Uh, I don't, I don't care uh, how God makes the world, you know, I mean, it, it's like, yeah. I, I assume that scientists will figure that out for me. Um, is, is it a problem? I mean, is Christian, Christianity naturally at odds with science? Uh, it, it shouldn't be because God created the whole world. Right. So God created all the molecules and everything that we see in the world. So it shouldn't be. The problem is, is we don't have a worldview for processing what, what, what science should look like. So even evolutionists have faith in their own science. They believe the world is 4.6 billion years old. Well, were they there when the world had a big bang? No, they have faith in their mm-hmm. carbon dating. They have faith in their processes and their, um, and, and so the issue is not faith. The issue is, is how we understand God's world and how we are able to read his word in relationship to, uh, you know, um, 
natural natural revelation. Uh, Gabe, I got to stop you there, but your show is cross politic. It is it's such a fun show, uh, and and you have scotch, which I think is yes. the most important thing. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you'll have me back on. It's really good to see you. Good to see you, Andrew. Thank you. I'll talk to you again. So final reflection, last night, uh, Safe Spaces, the, the new documentary starring Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager, uh, had its premiere, and we had a red carpet event at Grauman's Chinese Theater. I saw some really big stars there, like uh, Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles uh, were there, and Dave Rubin was there, a lot of, a lot of friends. It was, it was, it was a lot too uh, conservative Hollywood, which I think was, uh, was, it's really nice. It's really nice to see people turn up uh, for this Madison McQueen uh, production. They, the director. I don't know what we're yelling about. <laughs> well, well, we're about to find out. The director is Justin Folk, uh, who made his bones with Clavin on the culture. He uh, really was uh, one of the guiding forces, certainly the visual guiding force between Clavin on the culture. And he's only gotten better and better. And the direction of the film is absolutely terrific. Let's take a, a quick look at a uh, at the trailer, a little bit of the trailer of No Safe Spaces, which is about. Free speech or the lack thereof on college campuses, again, starring Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be used against you. You are not listening. I want your job to be taken from you. A protest has turned violent at California, Berkeley. This is why we're fighting for the soul of America. You should be able to share ideas without fear of being fired from your job or shouted down. You are not to be heard. This is one of the few things one could say we have no precedent for in the United States. You have the right to remain silent. The only way we separate the good ideas from the bad ideas is to be free to say whatever we want about them. Anything you say will be used against you. There's no free speech for fascists. Your posts on Facebook, Twitter, and social media will be saved to shame you. Kevin Hart has stepped down from hosting this year's Oscars. Anything you say that we don't like will be used to shut you up. It's a, it's a, it's a really well done documentary. I got to say one of the, uh, possibly the best, one of the, certainly one of the best in this kind of political genre. And, uh, you can go on nosafespaces.com and get tickets for wherever it's playing, which is not enough theaters yet, but they are accruing theaters. They are getting more and more theaters. They need investors as well. If you happen to have a couple bucks, uh, they need investors because nowadays you have to bring your own, uh, publicity money uh, to the table to get the theaters that you want. But really, I mean, you know that I had those people pounding on the door and screaming and yelling when I was making a speech. And I'm like a wonderful guy. So like for some of these people who aren't as as glorious as I am, it's even worse. And and I think that it's it's a terrible, terrible thing to do to children. It is a terrible, terrible thing to do to children to tell them. And these are children. Basically, they're young, young adults, you know, uh, their minds aren't totally formed to tell them that everything they disagree with is hate, to tell them that everything make, that makes them uncomfortable is bad is essentially to stop their mental development. So you go to college to stop their mental development. You know, we were having a conversation backstage about this before, about whether or not college is, is a good thing, whether it's now a good thing. And that's that's pitiful because education is a good thing. Education is a good thing. You should not only be educated in the things that you do, the, the craft, whatever craft or trade you practice, you should be educated in that. You 
should know how to do that well, but you should also have a general sense of where you came from, of how this, the uh, political structure of your country works and why it works that way. And they're essentially being robbed of that inheritance so they can't possibly think for themselves. You can't possibly think for yourself if you're not listening to other people. And No Safe Spaces details that. And of course, you're dealing with Adam Carolla and, and Dennis Prager, who are two of the most civilized human beings, uh, people who you know say politically incorrect things, but of course are very decent, very uh, thoughtful people. And the idea that they are being shut down and they're being canceled is completely absurd. It, it really is. And the things that are happening on college campuses are they're, what's so deadly about them, what's so deadly about them is these people move into the industries that matter. They move into Google. They move into uh, journalism. They move into college. They become future teachers. They become the minds that control the future and they do not understand anything. If you are down shouting somebody down, silencing somebody, declaring somebody who disagrees with you hateful, declaring somebody who disagrees with you fascist, if you are doing that, you do not know anything. You are an ignorant fool and you're being made into a fool. It's really not the fault of an 18, 19 year old for being foolish. 18, 19 year olds are are foolish. It is the fault of the administration that is teaching them not to think, not to listen, not to be challenged in their ideas. And No Safe Spaces, terrific documentary about how that works and what it's leading to, which which is pretty frightening. I got to stop The mailbag is tomorrow, so you're one day away from a better life or maybe a worse life. Who knows? But you'll find out tomorrow on the mailbag. Get your questions in. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On the Matt Wall Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation. 